Welcome to Crosstalks, conversations that drive innovation. In this podcast, we featured well-known payments expert Hugo Cuevas-Moore. This series is based on his 2023 book, Sending Money, Forex, Remittances, Migration, and the Fintech Revolution. Crosstalks is published by Crosstech, a conference and consultancy service company based in Miami, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is episode 10 of Sending Money, the development of EFTs or electronic fund transfers. The growth of formal remittances, which are approaching $800 billion globally or more, sparked an industry that created the advent of money transmitters in different corners of the world with the use of technology as we have seen in the previous episodes. Whether for controlling the movement of funds across borders, protecting the consumer, or monitoring its legal use, governments have had to play catch-up to introduce the regulation they felt were needed, impacting the industry in many ways. Over the course of history, there have been many controls on the movement of funds across borders, and some countries have imposed restrictions in one form or another, depending on the circumstances and economic and political crisis. My own research indicates that the first country to regulate non-bank financial institutions or NBFIs in terms of money transmissions was the U.S., although I cannot state that as a fact. I hope that someone digs deeper and discovers more information. The state of California was one of the first, as it was stated in a speech to the MTRA, the Money Transmitters Regulators Association, in an annual conference in La Jolla, California in October 2002 by California Commissioner of Financial Institutions Donald R. Mayer. He mentioned that the money transmitter business began in California in the early 1900s. He commented that the first transmitters were licensed by the state in 1936. However, I have not been able to confirm this information even with the state or obtain historical data from California for those years. In the data I obtained from the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, the FBI, the first license appears to be granted to American Express in 1979. New York State began licensing NBFIs in 1964. The driver for regulation and licensing has been dual protection to the consumer from losing funds held by NBFIs, money orders, travel checks, money transfers, and lately wallets and crypto, and the controls, restrictions, and reporter as protection against financial crime activities, which is in the U.S. is mostly a federal concern. The evolution of an industry and the evolution of regulations are a slow process. Even if global financial services are becoming more homogeneous in its development, regional variations have always occurred and continue to occur. So we will begin in the United States. And we already seen in the previous episodes how money orders developed in the 80s and 90s, and they slowly were replaced by EFTs. Now, as I said, the state of New York required MBFIs or MSBs or money service businesses in the United States 
to be licensed in 1964. And the first to obtain their required licenses were companies that sold money orders and traveler checks. The first license, American Express, on November 30, 1964, and is still active after almost 60 years. That same day, USN and company also received its license. Republic Money Orders, Travel Express Company, and Citicorp also obtained their licenses during this period for money orders and traveler checks. State licensing implied surety bonds required to be held by MSBs to protect customers from losing money. Several industry insiders began convincing surety companies to help money transmitter obtain these needed bonds. MBFIs were growing at both ends of the corridors to collect funds in one side and making necessary payments on the other side. Freddie Ortiz states in an interview that by the end of 1969, a Dominican individual named Bolivar Almonte opened Remesas Caribe in Brooklyn, and another Dominican, Adriana Duran, opened Dominican Exchange in Upper Manhattan. These might be the first ethnic remittance businesses in that state, at least for Latin America. I obtained a listing of all licenses issued by the state of New York since 1964, as well as the state of Texas since 1992, Florida since 1994, up to July of 2022. In almost 60 years, New York has granted 243 licenses. 50% of them are still active. Texas has issued 321 licenses and 53% are still active, while Florida, of the 796 licenses issued since 1994, 38% remain active. More than 60 companies were licensed in New York State between 1987 and 1999. In 2022, only 12 of those 60 continue to operate under the same license. License discontinuance is also the result of mergers and acquisitions, M&As, and not necessarily the closing down of money transmitters. The early ethnic money transmitters in the state of New York were companies like Pical Trading Corporation sending remittances to Poland, Haitian Transfer Express, or Hatreshko, Caribbean Airmail, CAM, Bobby Express to Haiti, both of them, Remesa Universal, BHD, Quisqueyana, Remesas Banreservas, Remesas América Oriental, La Nacional, Envios RD, Pronto, Cibao, and Mateo, all of these for the Dominican Republic. Then we have Piano, Vigo, Transfast to Brazil. We had South Africa. South American Express and Hirosol for Colombia, Delgado to Ecuador, Perusa to Peru, New York Bay and Metro to the Philippines, JN Money Services to Jamaica, Sonali Exchange to Bangladesh, Servicio Uniteller to Mexico, and NYFX, Rapido Heroes, Apex, and RIA to a number of countries in Latin America. A table with dates and what became of these companies is in the book Sending Money. Let me point to three companies. Pecao Trading Corporation was a subsidiary of the Polish bank of the same name, licensed in 1972 in New York, and operated until 2002, 30 years, when the U.S. Money Express company absorbed it. 
The company continues to serve migrants from Poland and those from neighboring countries, Eastern Europe. Another example, in 1999, Hatreshko, a courier and money transmitter from Haiti, licensed in 1973 in New York, ceased operation and was observed into Unitransfer, a Unibank Haiti subsidiary, with ceased operations in the U.S. in 2020. Vigo, a Brazilian company, was acquired by Western Union in 2005. It was really First Data who owned Western Union at that time. And Transvast, another Brazilian company, was acquired by MasterCard in 2019. So one of the very few ethnic money transfer companies in operation is Delgado, the MTO founded by Hector Delgado. It obtained its license as a transmitter in the States in 1986, and in that state, Delgado is the oldest licensed transmitter with 30 years of operating as a licensed entity as of 2023. Let's see California. Here, the first ethnic MTOs licensed targeted the Philippines, Vietnam, and Mexico. Companies like LBC Mundial, BDO Remit, Lucky Money, and PNB Remittance Centers for the Philippines Lego Tienle, Saigon Central Post, Huafat, and Armin Money Transfer for Vietnam, and for Mexico, a number of companies like Service Uniteller, Order Express, and Dolex Dollar Express. It is important to understand that Western Union and MoneyGram were developing at the same time their agent networks in the U.S. and the paying partners in the remittance destination countries. Now, their strategy was different from that of ethnic MTOs. They were signing chains of stores, exclusive agents that would use their proprietary systems. The remittance services that both these companies was offering was ancillary to the businesses agreeing to be signed. These businesses, a pharmacy, a bodega, a bakery, were betting on the increase in food traffic even if the commissions for providing the servers were rather low compared to agents of ethnic MTOs where mom-and-pop agencies where money transfers were the major source of the revenues of these stores as travel-related services were diminishing their importance. Western Union and MoneyGram were also seeking retail chaining stores that will rapidly increase their remittance collection services in migrant neighborhoods. Some ethnic remittance companies were also competing for agents, some expanding to businesses with owners or attendances from countries with similar cultural synergies, while developing their distribution networks in Latin America and the Caribbean. The common language, Spanish, was also a reason for the expansion of services and widening their niche markets. Now let's turn our head and check Europe. On November 1st, 1993, the Maastricht Treaty came into force and that established the European Union, now composed of 27 European states. However, it was not until 2002 when new bills and coins replaced the old currencies of the first 12 members that the effects of financial integration and regulations began to be evident. This Transition required cross-border payment companies in this region to adapt. At the same time, foreign exchange companies had to modify 
their operation as they were no longer exchanging pesetas, liras, francs, marks, and other currencies, significantly changing the nature and volume of business they managed. Now with the euro. In all European capitals and cities where migrants arrived to settle, money remittance businesses operated with little control or license requirements. But Europe experienced the same phenomenon as the United States. Migrant businesses began to offer remittance services to their communities, growing and multiplying, appointing agents in neighborhoods where the population they served gathered. Due to cultural proximity, these businesses eventually serve more than one country. For example, Colombian agencies in London started offering payments to other Latin American countries. Peruvian agencies in Milan and Rome started offering payments to Ecuador. And Eastern European agencies started sending money to Poland or Romania and later expanded into other countries in the region like Russia, Ukraine, etc. India agencies did the same for neighboring countries, Nepal, Sri Lanka. With the alliances they made in Europe, Western Union and MoneyGram served mostly multicultural markets. Spain, as a country that has not only hosted numerous migrants in the past millennium, but also has an extensive migration history to Europe and Latin America, the Spanish case deserves to be examined closer. At different times in history, the amount of incoming and outgoing remittances from this country have superseded each other, Spanish migrants sending money home or migrants sending money home from Spain. Spain emerged as one of the most important remittance centers in the European Union as Colombians, Equatorians, Moroccans, Romanians, Venezuelans arrived in Spain. Before 1988, it was possible to operate in Spain as an exchange or money remittance service provider with a simple registration. But after that year, the regulation was amended and the Banco de España, BDE, The authorization became mandatory. This regulation led to new control measures, which made the operation of exchange and remittance companies more complex. In Spain, as many other countries worldwide, Western Union and MoneyGram have operated for decades. Their service were provided by master agents, local companies which were permitted to work using these companies' trademarks with exclusivity agreements to develop the local markets. The master agents, in turn, formed their own networks of sub-agents, assuming themselves the legal responsibility, business risk, and business development. In return, they will make a commission based on the incoming and outgoing remittances, which vary widely. In Spain, Western Union was there with Fexco, Cambitur, Correos Españoles, and Angelo Costa, while two of MoneyGram's most important allies were Cambio Sol and Change Center. Let's look at Latin America. The formalization of MTOs in Latin America was a process that began around the end of 1980 and in the 1990s. And licenses came after companies were already in existence for some years. The transitions happened in different phases and different times in Latin America. But the evolution in Asia and Africa was very similar. 
There was no dialogue between the early participants in the industry with the banks, the regulators, and the policymakers. Some early associations did their best to gather the companies in operation, but the sector's informality made it very challenging. Mexico began to regulate money transmitters in 1985. In Colombia, the regulator decided to grant licenses to Casas de Cambio, foreign exchange companies, with the title Casa de Cambio Plena, or CCPs, in 1992, and giving them guidelines that evolved in what products and services they could offer to the public. In Peru, the Empresas de Transferencia de Fondos were designated in 1997 with provision to formalize existing companies that went on till the year 2000. At present, 2023, only Chile has no specific regulation for this sector, which the industry has demanded, mainly to ensure that they have access to banking, a serious issue in this country, like many others. As I will explain in another episode, access to banking for non-bank financial institutions, MTOs, MSBs, payment entities in almost every country is a major industry issue. Bank regulations have always permitted banks to offer remittance services. In remittance destinations, Western Union, MoneyGram, and a few other MTOs convinced some local banks early on to make payments locally. Banks had many problems in paying remittances to unbanked beneficiaries of migrants, and very few banks were successful as paying agents in the 80s and 90s. It was clear in the 80s and 90s that a two-track remittance system was being developed, placing Western Union and MoneyGram at one end of the spectrum and ethnic MTOs and the companies that acquired them later on at the other end. So Western Union and MoneyGram developed these closed-loop systems, while other MTOs built a rather open system using independent correspondent networks available to almost every one of that sector. A price difference has always existed between this two-track remittance system. Western Union and MoneyGram, with their well-known brands, marketing and exclusivity agreements, and a large coverage compensating for that premium cost. Western Union and MoneyGram also developed the so-called will-call method, which implies the sender collecting a code that they must give to the beneficiary to get their remittance at any Western Union or MoneyGram payment agent. Remittance payers in Latin America that were not working with Western Union or MoneyGram preferred to get the beneficiary payment details sent by MTOs so they could contact the beneficiaries by phone and inform them where they could pick up their payment. Besides providing closer contact with the receiving customer, it helped to better identify the client. That was very important for knowing your customer later on, calling the recipient to inform them when and where to collect a remittance payment has almost disappeared now. SMS messages have replaced almost all communications. So to compete, 
Those ethnic MTOs ensure that customers knew that their offering was cheaper than MGI or Western Union, both in terms of the fixed fee, but mostly on the exchange rate. In every remittance agent in the U.S. and Europe, the exchange rate offered of the day has been prominently displayed, even in the front window of stores, a practice that you still see nowadays. It took U.S. regulation and fines to make Western Union and MoneyGram transparent with the exchange rates offered to the public. Certain regulators have also banned exclusivity agreements of these companies to promote competition. Although still present today, this two-track system has slowly melted away as other MTOs have challenged Western Union using similar methods and practices, and MoneyGram has changed its remittance strategy for a more digital approach in the last few years. In Titan's case, the company that I will refer several times in this podcast, Reenvia, a remittance company in New York, became our first EFT correspondent. Jesus Perez Santaya, the company's co-founder, traveled around Latin America to find companies that could pay remittances sent by Latino immigrants that were arriving increasingly in numbers to the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, where RIA had licenses. The history of RIA, established in 1988 and licensed in New York in September of that year, will be detailed in later episode, as it has become one of the top leading firms in this industry. Titan, which in 1987, it was known as Universal de Cambios in Cali, Colombia, began disbursing remittances when Jesus Perez Santaya asked the company to pay remittances sent by its company. UDC, Universal de Cambios, realized that they needed to purchase a computer to manage the increased volume of transactions that were coming by telex. The company bought a Radio Shack, 64 in Panama with its monochrome screen and large and bendy discs. From the incoming money transfer lists that were received by Telex, we typed the available data into a table who could sort it and organize the information to the operators who made the telephone calls notifying beneficiaries that their payments had arrived. Without today's cell phones and mobile phones, and a high percentage of people not having a landline in their homes, contacting their customers was not easy. Keeping track of how the individual was notified, who received the information, and when and at what time was very important. Complaints about delays were very common, and having a for computer to manage that information was crucial at the time. We also printed lists of payments for the cashiers to prepare the envelopes with the dollars in cash inside of them to be handed to the customers when they came in to pick up their money. Operators prepared these envelopes at night to ensure we had all the dollars needed for the next day. But even if we exchanged dollars all day long, we soon realized that it was not enough. We needed to purchase dollars from wholesalers something we, we didn't like very much at the time. The preparation and alphabetical sorting of these envelopes, the calls, the provision of funds, etc., 
was a very intensive task to handle, but it was necessary so the client will be served fast when they arrived at the office. Cashiers manually kept track of paid transfers, the time, the date, and we needed to input this data in the computer at the end of the day or in the night. As the number of clients increased, technology kept presenting us with solutions so we could grow while keeping controls in place. Now, with the arrival of the fax, which was cheap and easy to use compared to telex, and the appearance of new MTOs in many cities in the U.S., and later on in Europe or other countries where Colombians were arriving, the money transfers we were handling skyrocketed in such a way that it was almost impossible to plan accordingly. The need for more offices to pay this remittance in different cities in Colombia, in different areas of the big cities, the need for better methods, controls, the increased use of computers and personnel that knew how to use those computers, the need for better software to simplify the operation and the cash flow both in the country and also the management of credit lines and credit risk with correspondence. All of this became the main aspects of managing the remittance business. Even if dollars were openly, but not freely, traded in the 1980s, we needed to have dollars to pay those remittances. That's what consumers were expecting. In the next episode, I will explore the role of remittance companies in the financial inclusion of remittance senders and recipients in both the sending and receiving countries. This crucial role that remittances companies have played in financial inclusion has been vastly ignored and deserves praise and recognition. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crosstalks, Conversations that Drive Innovation. The book Sending Money is available on Amazon. For comments, questions, and feedback, use our social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. See you soon.